Women aren't born warriors, we become them. And the road to becoming a warrior is bumpy as hell. Each week I'm interviewing women who through tragedy and triumph are leaping for greatness. Get ready to unleash your inner warrior. I'm Liz Swadek, and this is Conversations with Warrior Women. Do you want to learn how to connect and communicate better in your relationships? Dr. Kim Swales and rotating guests will discuss parenting, marriage, dating, friendship, family, and relationships, and self-growth in this podcast about connecting better in life. Episodes include the latest research, real-life stories, listener questions, and practical tips that will help you create and maintain happier and healthier connections. Tune in each Thursday for a new episode of Connecting with Dr. Kim Swales. Also follow Kim on Instagram at at Dr. Kim Swales. You can also email her at khswales at comcast.net. Tune in. Welcome back, Warrior Women. I'm Liz Swadek. This month, we are focusing on the word vitality. Vitality is defined as the state of being strong and active, energy. My guest today is focused on vitality despite her diagnosis. She is even bringing out the beauty and vitality of other women by celebrating their unique features and changing the game in the makeup business with beauty for all. But first, want to know how I found the house of my dreams? My real estate agent, Angelo Fierro. Angelo, is this really the time we should be buying or selling a house? It's the best time. It's a record year. Sellers are seeing the highest prices ever in the history of LA. And for buyers, interest rates have never been this low. 2.7% for a 30-year fixed. It's the best time to buy. Oh my God. Well, what about COVID though, Angelo? Like this is kind of a freaky time. Like, how do you handle that? We take care of everything. We steam clean the house before showings and staging. We clean during, and we adhere to wearing masks, gloves, and booties. Okay, but what if I'm a tired mother? You know, this is a The Warrior Woman podcast. We're tired, Angelo. How are you going to, can you handle some of this for us? Like, how do we do this? We do it. We do it. Our team does it, and Compass does it. Compass Concierge fronts the money to prep and stage your home so you don't have to. And then, we get your nice massage after the close. Ooh, a massage. I'm going to hold you to that one. All right, everybody. This is Angelo Fierro, my favorite agent at Compass Concierge. You can get in touch with him at asklosangelo at Gmail. That's asklosangelo at Gmail. Or call him, 323-821-5353. Thanks, Angelo. Thank you, Liz. On with the show. Today, we have Terry Bryant. Terry Bryan has worked as a professional makeup artist for models, celebrities, and as an educator for brands like Dior, Smashbox, and Josie Moran. But it was a major life change that led to the epiphany that there must be an easier and better way for everyone to apply makeup. A few years ago, she started to question why she too was struggling with certain makeup techniques. Her doctor provided the answer when she was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease. Though it comes with challenges, her diagnosis has given her an unexpectedly beautiful gift. She is able to approach makeup and how the user applies it from a unique lens through her company, Guide Beauty. Terry, I'm so excited to talk to you. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And you're such a patient person because we were just talking about my Zoom drama. Like I'm freezing lenses and God knows. I mean, could, could 21 just, 2021 just start well or do <laughs> right. it have to be crazy? 
<laughs> Do we have to be crazy all through 2021 as well? We're all off to a great start, aren't we? Oh my good golly gracious. Okay, we're all Terry. in it together, right? I mean, you're so, I already love you, Terry. So I'm so thrilled oh. to talk to you today and get to know you even better and share your story of your, you're such a warrior to me. So I'm so excited. Terry, you're a makeup queen. There's no, you have, you have reached queen status. There's no doubt about that. But t- let's talk about you growing up. What did you think you would be when you were like a little girl? The majority from as far back as I can remember, it was always makeup. There were a couple of like odd blips, I think probably elementary school. I think when I was seven, I spent a year where I decided I was going to be a ventriloquist and I walked around with my little ventriloquist dummy. I mean, that's insane. I love that. (laughs) It gets weirder. It gets weirder because the next year, I don't know how I saw the movie. I don't know if you remember the movie, I'm totally dating myself, but Stir Crazy. Oh yeah. Richard Pryor. Oh yeah. And I saw it and I decided I was going to be a comedian. And for some reason, I spent about a year walking around doing what I thought was a Richard Pryor impersonation. <laughs> uh-huh. I was like, I thought I was doing this thing where I'd walk like him and talk like him. So those two sort of odd, awkward years aside, not that I stopped being awkward, everything else was really always about makeup for me. I love it. You know what? I was always so jealous of the girls and I want to know if this was you. I had some friends in high school who could do eye makeup as if they worked for Vogue when they were 15 and 16 years old. And they, like my, my friend, Nicole Lovinger, now Bon, she would do an eye. I could not get over her. And, and I could not, would sit there and watch her. And to this day, I still, by the way, cannot do anything. But she was amazing. She could just, or she could copy something like from a magazine and do this insane, beautiful eyeshadow and gorgeous eye. Were you that person? Like, did you do your friend's makeup? Did you do your own makeup? Were you like kind of that girl too? I got to say I was that girl. However, I don't know if I was so fabulous. I was that girl because I was extremely awkward. And I used to, my mom, when I was very little, she used to take me four times a year to the makeup counter with her to Aww. see her makeup artist, whose name was Cesar. And we would go four times a year when color collections would come out and I would watch her as he would celebrate her face and she would feel all lifted and wonderful. And we would get home and she'd put the makeup in her bathroom and she'd say, okay, now this is mine. This is mom. So don't touch it. And I'd say, of course I won't. And then she would leave and I would lock myself in the bathroom and play with her makeup. Um, but I, I think because I was a little awkward and uncomfortable in my own skin, I, I, it was my creative outlet. I would sit on the floor and whatever mood I was in, I would play with makeup. And there was something that happened for me, some sort of, for some reason I took to it. For some reason there was a natural ability that I was able to develop, which is rare because ask me anything else. Can I paint with watercolors? Can I do pottery? I can't do any of that, but makeup artistry for some reason came easily to me and I loved it. But I I grew to appreciate myself in that process. I think I realized that my face was a canvas and if I could create on this canvas, I should appreciate the foundation that was creating all these great looks that I was enjoying. And so I had such a positive experience with makeup. And when I realized sort of like you're talking about that, almost all of my friends and my family and anybody who I was talking to said, I don't feel confident doing it. Will you do my makeup? I learned to connect with people that way. And I thought, but it's not easy for you. Well, it's so great. Let me show you. Like, I love this so much. Let me show you. And so I think when you have such a positive experience, you kind of want to pass it along. So it is how I came into my own was through playing with makeup. I love that, Terry. I love that whole thing because it makes me think about like how we are when we were kids and what we get praised for. And sometimes what we get praised for or what we feel a confidence around, because it is, 
I mean, it's terribly awkward growing up. It's like a total shit show growing up, please. You are not kidding. Yeah. But, and and my God, especially for these kids who are like on Zooms and just in nightmare town right now in this stupid quarantine. But it is, it's like when you find something that you're kind of good at and your parents or your families like kind of praise you for it. Like I was known as the funny one, right? So they would be like, Liz, tell the root that my mother would say, do the routine about, and I was like, (laughs) do the routine about like she, she remembered each of my stories and would have me retell them. And here I am retelling stories and do, kind of doing my thing and my host thing. So it's funny, right? It, it does yeah. inform kind of where we're going, yeah. but, but tell I me, how, yeah, I love that. Tell me, how did your parents, I mean, other than what we're talking about, did your parents influence kind of who you are today and kind of how you went on this path? Like what lessons did you think you learned from them? Yeah. I mean, undoubtedly they are, my parents are great. We actually, they, they've moved from Rochester, New York. Now we're all here together in Winter Park, Florida. Um, they're the foundation. Um, wait, hold, please. Yeah. I went to school in Winter Park, Florida. Please don't. I, I, did you go to Rollins? Yes, I did. Get out. Okay. So I am about a mile down the road. I cannot believe you. And by the way, I'm from Scarsdale. So I know exactly where oh, Rochester is. So we are now best girlfriends. It's happening oh, on the show. Yes. It's happening. That's just okay. World. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Crazy. Okay. So tell me. Okay. So your parents are now in Winter Park with you living the good life because if anybody knows what Winter Park looks like, it is literally uh, the Greenwich, Connecticut of Florida. So bravo. <laughs> bravo to you. Uh, well, thank you. Well, so my husband and I actually is sort of like off topic, but we were long distance for like 20 something years while he was in Florida in Orlando and I was between LA and New York. And I, I remember saying to him, if you think you're, I'm ever coming to Florida and ever coming to Orlando, just so you know, we're going to end up in Winter Park. And uh, and, there yeah, you are. Now, and now that I'm here, I was, I'm thinking, what was I, why was I finding this? This is fantastic. What kind of dummy was I? This is, this is great. <laughs> it's warm. It's easy. I was, yeah, I was not, apparently I wasn't. Oh my God, park. you got Park Avenue in Winter Park. Don't even get yeah. me started. Don't even get me started. Oh, oh well, with all this stuff, this is over. You'll yeah, you come back. You come, come have a yeah, cocktail hour. <laughs> yes, I will. Yes, I will. But yes, tell me about uh, your parents. Uh, so my parents, yeah, my parents, Ellie and Joe, they've been married for 53 years. They're just good people. They're the foundation because they, you know, there's so many reasons. They taught me what it meant to work hard, to be honest, to have integrity. They were incredibly supportive. I mean, when I talked about, you know, sort of silly, but even just the year that I decided I wanted to be Richard Pryor, nobody knew what I was doing, <laughs> but I walked around with this impersonation and my dad would do it with me because I think he figured she'll look less awkward in numbers. (laughs) What a sweet person. Right. So they're, they're just really sweet, loving people, but they also, I think one of the biggest things I was thinking about it recently is that they taught me what it, what, what it meant, what relationships meant. And when I think about my entire life and my career is really all built on the relationships, these fantastic relationships that I've had. And they they taught me to value that. They taught me to foster that. They taught me how to build that, to look out for that. So I really have to, I, I kind of have to credit them for, for everything. I mean, your parents must be so proud of you. I can't even take it. How did you begin your career as a makeup artist? I mean, now I know you began it by doing your friends' makeups and, and yes. your, you know, before you were Richard Pryor, you know, <laughs> after that. But how did you really begin your real, like, makeup career? How did you, how did you actually break your way in? Because that's not really an easy business to get into. Yeah, I probably wasn't smart enough to realize it wasn't an easy business to get into. <laughs> I think I've always been, I, you know, if I want it, I can manifest it. I'll make it happen. 
I was going to school. I went to Syracuse University and I was studying elementary and special education. And that same makeup artist, Cesar, who my mom went to at the, at the makeup counter, he helped me get my first job behind the Chanel counter while I was going to school at Syracuse. And I so I was doing that and I went to my first Chanel training. I left that and, and just was like, that was it for me. I remember I actually drove from Syracuse back home to Rochester and was like, mom, 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 mom. Like what now? Like I just, I just found exactly what I want to do and where I want to be. I want to be a makeup artist. And now there's this thing, there's this education thing. I can really teach people how to do this. What am I going to do now? Because I'm in the wrong field. She was like, no, no, no. You're in the perfect field. You're studying elementary and special education while you're honing your craft. You're still going to teach. You're just going to teach a different audience. It's no longer going to be children going to be people who want to learn how to apply makeup. And so I just continued on that path. And when it was time to graduate, I moved to New York City because at the time there was no LA in, in cosmetics. It was all New York. I started booking jobs as a makeup artist and then to supplement my income. I got a job behind the counter at Saks Fifth Avenue and started just telling anybody and everybody who would listen, if, I just, if anything opens up in the world of education, please consider me. And I probably harassed people and said it enough that finally somebody <laughs> was like, throw that girl a bone, <laughs> shut her up. And so Christian Dior actually gave me my first opportunity. And I, probably the reason I got that opportunity was because I had that elementary and special education background. Because otherwise I probably was nowhere near qualified. I just got really lucky. So the Chanel training was with like, this wasn't a training to be behind the counter of Chanel. This was like Chanel, right? Like a Chanel, like you went into, so t- I, don't, I don't know the way it works. Oh, sure. So when you go, so, it, you know, I mean, it's, it's probably somewhat different now that things have changed, although there's a lot of similarities, similarities, I guess, but it really was when you went to go work behind a cosmetics counter, Chanel, Estee Lauder, Dior, Lancome, they really invest the people that you are, are when you go in and you're looking for that consultant and that beauty specialist to help you at the counter, they invest in their people. And so you would go seasonally and you get trained new products, whether it was skincare, makeup, application steps because you needed to be the experts. And then you would go back out to the counter and teach people how to, how to, how to apply their makeup, tell them all the exciting new things that were coming to, you know, at the time for me, it was Chanel. And I realized that, you know, initially I was going to do that just for that audience, sort of the way I learned. And then eventually my career grew. And so I was, I was sort of teaching direct to consumer. I was teaching the people that was t- were touching in the consumer. And then I was eventually educating the makeup artists themselves in the sort of in more of the professional realm. So, okay. So you ra- uh, you went up through the ranks there to kind of share yeah. your knowledge because you're, you had that teaching background, which is so amazing, right? That you didn't just, like you're saying, just let that go and say, oh no, I'm, I'm supposed to be doing makeup. The fact that you right. held on to that and did that was the thing that propelled you forward. It really worked out beautifully. You know, I could, I don't know that I could have predicted it. I don't know that I totally understood the path I was on. I think probably the good fortune is that, you know, that work ethic and you just say yes and you just do what my parents instilled. I just said yes. And then all these things just sort of the stars kept aligning. So yeah, that education background really helped me a lot. And then Christian Dior led to some other really incredible opportunities. And so uh, that eventually led me to LA and, uh, and developing an education program for Smashbox Cosmetics and Temp2 and Josie Marin. And so, and, and all these brands were allowing me to develop education programs while I was also on set doing the makeup. So, um, and I loved it. I just loved everything about it. Uh, not just the creative aspect, but like, I just have great friends and great mentors. And uh, it really is a, you hear all these sort of 
crazy, or I, at least I do. I hear all these horror stories of people not being nice to each other. And I don't know where I was. I missed it. I'm <laughs> You're like, it was nice, right? Well, yeah. like, who were you all talking to? I really, and to this day, we all really still support one another. So Incredible. yeah, I mean, like, not that I like, you know, not that there were never any bad moments, but in general, it, it's, yeah, it's, it's my happy place. I, I love that. Tell me, I mean, I'm just going rogue on you now because now I just yeah. want to know everything. No. <laughs> what, what was the most fun face or the most beautiful face or the most amazing makeup experience that you had? Because you've done a lot of celebrities and models. Is there somebody that like sticks out in your mind? Like this person was like an alien. Like I put makeup on her and it just, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Because I, I remember thinking that when I was little, you know, you'd see, I mean, and don't think I'm not going to just name these people like Nadia Armin. <laughs> <laughs> or Kristen, you know, like the big ones, you know, and you would yeah. see them without makeup and then with makeup. And it was like, I mean, they were otherworldly, just their yeah. skin and the way they looked or the way they would contort their bodies and like these legs that would just go on for days. And so like, did you, what was the most exciting kind of person that you got to That's make up? Good. That's a good question. You know, there were a lot of fun ones. Probably there was a, without naming names, there was, there was a supermodel that I have two, two things that really stick out. There was a supermodel who it was the longest shoot of my life because for some reason she latched on and she was lovely, but she believed that you really needed to appreciate nature and the shoot was outside. So at like, I kid you not, every five minutes we had to stop because she would see like a tree and she'd let's go and hug the tree. Like, oh my goodness. I'm in the middle of doing your lipstick. I have to stop and hug a tree. Okay, we're hugging the tree. We're hugging the tree. It was such an odd, uh, you know, so you get some quirky personalities. Yes, there, sure. was, um, there was a rock star, a very well-known rock star who um, I'll just say he, he spans time, 70s, 80s, 90s. He's a well-known name. I had to create a brow that wasn't there because he had a little indiscretion and his current lady friend was very upset. So while she, he was sleeping. She shaved <laughs> she off the brow. She shaved <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> That's hysterical. <laughs> well, I mean, he's lucky she didn't do a Lorena Bobbitt. I mean, like, I, I, yeah, yeah I your eyebrows I, gone, I, and that's exactly. it. Exactly, that hadn't happened yet, but uh, that is a good call. <laughs> he should have been. He had a good. I gotta say, he had a. He, had, he was. He had a good humor about it. At least he could laugh at it. Uh, that is yeah. hysterical. That's a hard job, though, putting an eyebrow where there is none. Yeah, I was like, so it's it's gone. We're gonna put a new one on. All right, we'll just we'll make this we'll make this one work. So. Oh my god, that's hysterical. I'm sure you could write a book. <laughs> so tell me, what has been you think your hardest career lesson? Because I think a lot of people who are who are listening are going through hard career moments right now. I mean, my gosh, forget it, laid off or ch- making having to make a change or you know what I mean or just. I don't know, just feeling kind of low about where they are in their career and not sure if it's really what they want to do. So what what are what, what was something that you could kind of share with us that you had to kind of, you know, learn and get through, but, you know, persevere? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I guess it's sort of, there's, there's probably two things. I mean, sort of on a grand, on a bigger scale, I've always found, at least for me personally, out of, you know, life, none of us go through it unscathed, right? And so with the good comes the bad and vice versa. And it's not if, it's when. And then how you handle it. So we're all allowed to have our moments. We're all allowed to grieve. But when that happens, I always take a moment, just take a beat and think to myself, this stinks, but something good will come from it. Yeah. And if I wait long enough and I look for it, some, so in my career, when those little blips and those little, those hard moments have happened, something always good has happened, has come from it. But 
I think sort of personally in my own growth in my career, I have found, I think early on, I had to, I've had to learn how to say yes and no for the right reasons. When I was much younger and earlier on in my career, I said yes to everything. Yeah. Well, that's um, what you do, right? Like you but, just like, because you're just, you don't want to let an opportunity go by. That's right. Like, yes, gonna, I'll do it. I'll, I'll go <laughs> draw that eyebrow on that guy. Because <laughs> right, right, right. I'm going to do it. I can do it. I can do it. Well, maybe I couldn't do it. If you got a caterpillar, I can just do it. Yeah. And, and it is that it's like, I want to prove my, I have, I want to show you, I, I have a strong work ethic. I want to prove myself to you, but there is also a, a, a strong part of me. And, and that I have to admittedly say is because there's the people pleaser. I don't want to disappoint anybody. And it led me to take jobs that I didn't really want. It made certain projects so much more difficult because I was saying yes, maybe to everybody at the table trying to get a project done and trying to balance that. And I think as I've gotten older, I've had to learn that, um, think about it and and become more grounded and think about the choice I want to make, whether yes or no, feel comfortable making it because at this point, hopefully I've been around long enough that I know that whatever decision I make is going to come from an honest, authentic place. And so, and that, I think some of that just comes with time. Somebody asked me a little while ago, you know, what, if I could go back and tell, talk to my former self, what would I tell her? Probably nothing, to be honest. I wouldn't have listened to myself. I you just have to, <laughs> right? Like, I'm listening I'm, to me? <laughs> what does me know? What does me know about me? No, but that's so true, though, because you know right. what? When you know better, you do better. And that comes from experience. You, there's, yeah. there's lessons. I mean, I'm 50, right? Like, I have reached a whole level of like, it's either a hell yes or a hell no state. Uh-huh. And I've told some of my friends who are turning 40 and they're still so worried about what does this person think about me? Or what if I say the wrong thing? And I'm like, oh my God, I have let that go on a level that maybe right. not even good. <laughs> I don't even know. But it is true. You know, you really get to a point where you've learned and you really, you, you know what you know. And you can yeah. trust yourself because you've been in, around the world enough that you're like, you know what? That's a no for me. Right, right. Exactly. It's a good feeling. It is if a good have, feeling. If I have to deal with all the other things that are happening at 48, uh, I feel like let's get some of the good stuff going, which is uh, the confidence. I'll deal with it with the hair that's growing out of the chin or, exactly. <laughs> or any of that random. Right. <laughs> um, but, but, but you bring up a point, though. You, you were struggling with certain makeup techniques. You found out you had Parkinson's, which yeah. had to be... I mean, I, I, I kind of want to know, did you even suspect something this kind of sinister was going on? Or was it more like you were like, oh, I kind of, you know, or was it like a, a sharp left? I want to know how you kind of, how you took that, how you handled it. How did you move from there? Because I think that's a pretty kind of like, that'll just stop you in your tracks, right? Like you're just like, it makes you assess everything. Like, am right. I, what am I doing? You know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I always talk about it you know, there's this, this very distinct memory I have. And it was about 10 years ago and I was on set and I was doing, um, the model's makeup and it's somebody I'd worked with for many years. And the look was so simple and it's something I would have knocked out like just so quickly. And it was taking me forever. And eventually not in a mean way, but I was, I felt it coming. Cause I was wondering what was going on. I, she looked at me and said, what is taking you so long? You know, you have people waiting on set. <laughs> it's time, it's money. The photographer's getting irritated. And, uh, and I looked at her and I said, I gotta be honest, I have, I have no idea. And I just ignored it completely. I was like, well, that, that was weird. And if I think back now, even prior to 10 years ago, I would, I could think of some moments like that. And those moments kept happening. And I, I ignored it for a lot of years, 
somewhat because when I would ask people questions or go to see doctors, they would say to me, you're getting older. You're probably not working out enough. Are you drinking enough water? What go on a vacation. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't you like genius damn doctors? Oh, you're tired. Get some more you're, sleep. It's like, shut up. I, I yeah. have a mother. That's what they're right. like. <laughs> doctor. Tell me something. I mean, really? Like, what do they think they're geniuses? You don't think I've already thought about my diet, whether I'm sleeping, if I've meditated today? Come on. Wake up, person. <laughs> Literally. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I'm making you die, but it's true. That's, that's what it is. Well, the Doctors, do you have a degree on the wall or what? Hello? <laughs> and I love the, I already have my mother because that is so, are you, are you going to eat that? Is that good for you? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> it is, it is so true, but I was like, well, that seems, but you accept at the time you sort of like think, well, that's, it's dismissive, but you kind of want to accept the ridiculous response because that sounds better than something being really wrong. Um, and, and I, and so that was one reason I was sort of ignoring it. And the other reason I was ignoring it is because I would sort of unknowingly, I like, I could sense something was off. So I was sort of pivoting my career. Like I, because I was doing onset and education, I sort of pulled back a little from onset. So if you call me to do fashion, a fashion week sort of gig, I would say no, because I knew it was a bunch of models fast paced. So I'd say no to that. But if you call me to do like one model on set full day, I could probably handle that. I'll take that. And then, you know, and then I was focusing more on the education. And then I started getting calls from brands to go on uh, QVC and HSN as a rep. So like I, so I could sort of shift my career and kind of ignore it. But, I, you know, something was amiss, certainly. And then five years ago, almost six now, that shift in my ability, because I could, I always had this sort of, like I said, this sort of natural ability where I would look at your face and I immediately saw how I wanted to celebrate your features. And then my arm and my hand were this very direct extension of my mind's eye. And I, you know, like just make it so, right. And that was shifting. I wasn't able to do that. And then again, like five or six years ago, that, that disconnect had shifted just enough that I was having trouble doing my own makeup. And I was like, all right, well, we're we're not going to ignore this anymore. And uh, again, I went to a doctor who said, you, you need to work out, <laughs> you need to work out. Sent me, I know, you're old, you're out of shape, go work out, fine. I got I myself. Yes. And, right? Uh, and, they, and then I was seeing a, a trainer and, a, and one day he was out and he had a replacement. And within a couple of minutes of her being with me, she said, would you excuse me for a moment? And she went and made a phone call and her husband was a neurologist. And she, apparently I didn't know at the time she had called to say, I have this client and something seems off. Her arm seems really stiff and I don't think it's a stretching thing. And she said, I don't want to panic you, but would you go see a neurologist? And I made an appointment. And when I saw that neurologist, I, it was like a matter of minutes where he said to me, I think you have Parkinson's. And I said, Okay. Uh, if you were at a casino, <laughs> if you were a betting man, like one to 10, what do you, what, what odds are you giving me? And I should, and I thought at the time, this is silly. My, you know, my father's a retired physician. No doctor would ever answer that question, he, but he did. And he said, <laughs> I'll, give, I'll give it a nine. And I went, Oh, oh. okay. I think this oh, is, boy. this is clearly. So, you know, I went through the tests. I did the whole thing. They sent me to a specialist at, uh, at the university of Florida at Shands. And they, and they, they confirmed, you know, after all that, that it, that it was in fact Parkinson's. Um, and, you know, I will say that um, sort of two things happened in that moment, which was 
you know, and I kind of, at that point, you know, you sort of saw it coming. They've already put you through all the tests. Like uh, this is starting to add up for me. Like, you know, like, the, the, I had, a, I think I had a clue when I was sitting there and I got that diagnosis. There's a part of you that's sort of, you, you're like, okay, well, this is terrible. But then there's a bit of a relief too. Like I am not crazy. There is something wrong. If I know what's wrong, now I can address it. And I always tell the story that my father was in the office with me when I got the diagnosis. And when they left the room, he said, you know, sweetie, you, you look like you blinked out there for a minute. Are you all right? Where'd you, where'd your head go? And I said, well, you know, I'm, I'm sure it went in a million different places, but honestly, dad, I was wondering how I'm going to do my makeup. You know, I was thinking, you went through my head, like, you know, you get your hair cut, however often, you know, I can put on a, a caftan and a cocktail ring. I can put on a simple outfit and feel fabulous, but makeup's a daily thing. And it's something I've always been able to own. It's my creative outlet. It's my mm-hmm. livelihood, my friendships. It's just, it's how I get to express myself. And the thought of losing it was devastating. So because I had an answer, I immediately ran home and thought, well, I'm going to get it back. Now I know it. Don't ignore it. Something's here. I'm going to find an answer. And so without knowing in that moment, that was the beginning of how Guide Beauty was to be born. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it seems, I mean, because for you, makeup is not just makeup, right? Yeah. Makeup was a way you were connecting with people. Makeup was a way you found joy. Like, right. This was not just like, oh, I have a job and uh, my job is I'm a stylist and now I can't do style. Okay, well, let me do another job. No, makeup was so much more to you. So you were not about to let that go. Mm -mm, No way. Especially for all the things that it had brought you, right? And look how you kind of were pivoting, right? You you knew something was going on. You weren't like, oh, let me not do makeup anymore. You're like, no, I'll just go and dip into this other side. (laughs) Right, right. Even even when it started to go away from you, you were like, no, 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 I'll just keep up. (laughs) So it is, I mean, it's a testament to you how much you do, what a passion and love you have for it, that you were just unwilling to let that go uh, for any reason. And thank God, thank God that you did. Thank you. Thank Um, you. Before we get into Guy Beauty, which we're going to get it, we're going to go get in there, girl. Um, (laughs) What is your advice? Because I think you have a unique perspective in this. And there's a lot of women right now who are dealing with major health issues right now. And then on top of it, they're in COVID. Oh, how wonderful. They're fighting cancer in COVID. They are battling all sorts of things, physical ailments in COVID. And you may not even know, because I always say I had Catherine... Wolf, come on. I don't know if you know who she is. She wrote this book called Hope Heals and she's in a wheelchair. And she said, Oh, you know, sometimes I feel bad for other people that are not in wheelchairs. And I thought, What are you talking about? And she said, <laughs> she said Because there's so many invisible wheelchairs. Yeah. Looking at you, I would never even know you have Parkinson's. You look fantastic. You know, you look good to me, girl. So it, a lot of people are suffering in their little invisible wheelchairs. So what well, would you say? Yeah. What would you say to some women who are, you know, sure. dealing with health issues right now? And that, and I do have to, and, and, and I sort of have to, it's, it's a great point that you call out because uh, recently somebody said, why don't you show somebody with a disability? And I thought, oh, the assumption is that all physical limitations and all disabilities are, are visible. Right. And they're not, and there's a lot of people, you just don't know what somebody's story is. And, and, uh, and it's, and that makes it more challenging in a lot of ways because the the level of sen- sensitivity and empathy is is missed, right? When yes. uh, when it's not visible or or uh, or people don't take it as seriously, it can't be that bad, right? Exactly, um, you look fine. Oh, that's my favorite one. But you posted yeah. a picture on Instagram. You look good. I'm like, do you 
do you think Instagram is real? Oh, I'm so sorry. Did you not go to that class? Let me yeah. teach you now. That was a snapshot. That was one moment. <laughs> that is that not was a lot of lighting so and 24 hours of, yeah, of, of makeup. Yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But um, I, yeah, I think, you know, it's hard. I mean, there's no way around it not being hard for all of us. And I think even, you know, physical limitation, health issue or not, especially for women, what do they say? Two out of every three caretakers are, are women. Uh, we are already before COVID, after COVID, have a lot on our plate. And it, it probably does sound cliche, but I think it is extremely true and extremely valuable to voice it and say it out loud, which is we need to, if there's any way possible, focus as much on the emotional, mental, spiritual health as we do on our physical health because they live together. I mean, I certainly know what would happen. I have a medication regimen. I know what happens if I break off of that regimen. And the doctors stress it and I live by it, but I may let the other side go. That emotional, the mental, the spiritual, the the listening to that inner voice and taking time to breathe. I mean, when, when COVID first started and, the, and we were sort of in lockdown, my husband and I were like, well, what are we going to do to stay connected? And we started cocktail hour, which is great. We still do cocktail hour. I love that started to go into every night and it probably wasn't as, as grounding. I wasn't really taking care of me emotionally. And so we, we shifted a little bit and said, let's take the dog for a walk. And when we come back, let's do yoga and meditation and deep breathing and take some time to reset. I start my morning out on the patio and, and to have a cup of coffee and just try to sit for a minute, have a moment of appreciation, anything you can do to reset and care for you. It's just, it's so hard right now because it's isolating Yeah, and you can't get cared for in the way you would have previously. And, and we'll come around it again, right? We'll find that way. So I think it's, it's, paying attention and giving the same merit to that, that emotional and mental side. And I think a lot of it is reaching out to people and staying connected to people in any way that you can. Yeah. I I think that self-care thing is, is, it is absolutely not. I think we've realized in COVID that self-care, you can't even survive without it. So you're right. Taking that time, check in with yourself, yoga, meditation, have a moment with your coffee, whatever it is, this is warrior time. I mean, I always say women are not born warriors. We become them. That is the, that's the truest thing. And I think that you're in a, you're, you're in your warrior time, you know, you're, you're going through this and you, in, in order to be a warrior, to be out there ready for battle, ready to fight, ready to, you know, live your life. You have to be mentally prepared for that. You can't go into battle yes. and be mentally like just crazy. I mean, how are you going to do that? You know, so it is, you're like an athlete, right? You're like an athlete that needs to yeah. make sure not only your physical body is taken care of, but that your mind is right, that you've got enough kind of positivity that you can get up in the morning and do this yeah. again, you know? So right. yeah. Arm yourself, arm yourself with good mental health as best as you can. Yes. Yes. I think it's so important. So tell me about Guide Beauty. You kind of alluded to the reason why you started it, but tell me all about Guide Beauty. How did it start? What is it really about? Tell me, I looked at your website and I was like, this is amazing because I've never been able to do makeup personally. So I need that help regardless. We are changing that for you. (laughs) Yeah. I cannot do it. I am your person. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Well then you are not alone, but we're going to, we're going to change that for you. Then that's, that is the goal. I love talking about it. So I'd be happy to, to tell you, I, you know, I, when I talk about that day that I kind of ran home and started creating formulas and tools, you know, I, 
I've always known the mechanics of good artistry. I know what it means to be the makeup artist. And I got into education because I wanted to share that with people. And I, you know, I've realized that it is one thing to understand the steps to application and something very different to actually execute them, right? All best intention, I was a makeup artist. I couldn't put myself in the shoes of somebody who was not. And I had literally thousands of people in my makeup chair saying, can I take you home with me? I wish I could do this the way you do it. I'm never going to get it. And I thought, well, no, I can teach you. I can teach you. I can teach you. But I really couldn't effectively do it again, not because I didn't want to, but because there was that, there was a miss there that I couldn't quite understand. When I was working on those tools and those formulas for myself, at one point I had this really sort of crude prototype. I think it was like a finger puppet for mascara. And I remember looking at my husband going, sweetie, this is so easy. Like, look at this. Wouldn't it have been great if I had had this for all those years, for all those thousands of clients that I wanted to help, wouldn't it have been great if, and then all of a sudden there's like, you know, the record stops and you're like, oh, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> was something beautiful just born? Was that that moment where out of like the crappiest news ever? Yes. <laughs> like for me, something beautiful was born. This is bigger than, I have this unique perspective. I know the mechanics of great artistry. Now I know what it feels like to have that disconnect. Let me break apart everything I know about makeup artistry, reimagine and rebuild it to make the tool the extension of that hand. Let the tool guide you so that everybody, whether you have a physical limitation or you're just that person who says, I don't know, I just don't get it. I'm not that good with makeup. I want you to be able to have that same joyful experience that I had when I started playing with makeup and I've always had. And so like, and that's, that's my love story to, for makeup. Like, so we went to town, I worked on my own prototypes for quite some time, got to a certain point and then realized, I think we need to take this next level. And we employed the help of um, a design team that specializes in ergonomics and human factors engineering. Oh, wow. And we took three years through a process of what's called inclusive and universal design which is a whole other moment that I love talking about, but I probably made people fall asleep because I talked about it too long. But really it's casting this wide net. It's pulling in all users from the ground up as we were reimagining makeup application and sort of, if you had Parkinson's come in and test, if you have arthritis come in and test, if you're a makeup artist come in and test, if you are the average makeup user who says, I just, I'm a busy mom. I don't have a lot of time. I want it to be quicker. If you, a, a newbie to makeup, whoever you were, come in and play. And three years and 200 test users later, we watched and watched and we looked to see where people got stuck so that we could tweak and adjust and find ways to reimagine what makeup application could be to make it easier. And we focused on things that we knew that people had challenges with. So eyeliner, those perfect precision brows, getting those soft fluttery lashes, things that create definition. And that's where we started. And we're going to continue the, continue the process, but it's really about now, the, the beauty of inclusive and universal design is that it's this idea that if you, from the ground up, if you factor in for the needs of those who really have a greater need, you will ultimately be, create a better product and process for the whole. And so it's just, it's really, instead of this sort of like, let's, it's not an us and them moment. It's a one better product for the whole, right? Yeah. Um, and so, and so that was, that's the process we, we go by and that's, it's sort of, it's, it's everything. And, you know, we are vegan, we are clean, we are cruelty-free, but we're about beauty for all. But when we say it, we mean it because it's about, it's about making the community part of the development process so yeah. that we know, we know we're changing, changing the, you know, changing the game. And what, like, tell me about some of your favorite 
things that you have that you think are kind of game changers for, for us, like people like me who really, I swear to you, cannot do anything. I mean, I'm lucky I have any <laughs> mascara or lipstick on right now at all. Um, and plus I did something with my stupid finger. So I was over here with my left hand as if I'm not challenged enough. I needed to have my right hand not available to me today. Um, but yes, tell me. Yeah, so I think, you know, when we started the process and we were watching people, we realized that sort of the two human factors we could really leverage the most were really grip and stability is where a lot of people find challenges in makeup application. And especially things like applying eyeliner. I mean, if you imagine, we are kind of asking people to do certain, like makeup artistry. It's a form of artistry that requires sort of surgeon level precision hands. Yes. your eye with this pointed pencil and draw a perfect straight line on one eye. And if you are good enough to do that, now switch over to the other eye and repeat. <laughs> so like not always the easiest thing. So, and a lot of that challenge comes because the tools just like painting are freehand. You're coming in horizontally. There's nothing to ground on. And if you watch people or, or even watch, think about it the next time you're doing your own makeup, you watch people try to self-accommodate for where the tool lacks. They're, they're resting, they're trying, they're trying to this. They're, they're, they're like leaning. Yeah, leaning you try to like and, put it on your cheekbone so that you can like rest it. You yeah. can have a steady, yeah, no, it's true. So that's the beauty. And I, I you know, I, I, don't, I don't know if people will be able to see it, but uh, the beauty, for example, of the guide wand, which is the, the way that we put on eyeliner. Mm-hmm. Um, and so instead of coming in, first of all, everything's about a soft grip because I don't know if the golfing analogy, tight grip, crummy swing, loosen up the grip, nice fluid swing. If you can loosen up your hand, you get more fluidity and motion. You're going to get more control in what you're doing. So everything we do from mascara to the brow requires no grip, hands-free. And then with the eyeliner, because you're coming in vertically, because you have this nice soft form, everything's meant to sort of, I'll sort of show you, it's sort of meant to come in vertically, rest, steady, ground and steady your hand before you apply you tilt the soft applicator, and this is a soft rubbery applicator tip, which mm-hmm. is elongated so you have less room you have to travel when you mm-hmm. go across your eye. Mm-hmm. You pick up a cream liner, which by the way, I know I'm all over the place in this explanation, but if you've ever picked up a like an eyeliner jar, you know they're these sort of they're round and they're harder to open, whether you have yeah. again the moment you get anything on your hands. So ours is an hourglass shape, it's two triangles on top of another, so you have all this purchase room. Yeah. To easily open. So oh yeah, those completely round things are like impossible. To right. A disaster, right? And you just gently coat the wand, and because you're coming in horizontally, and because you have a soft hold, and because you can rest the applicate the the wand against your cheek first, when you tilt, the shape of the applicator is designed to rest just where your lashes meet your lid, and then you just with the wand resting against your cheek, you can just sort of glide across your eye, wow. and it works. For a wing, it works for a tight line. Um, there's all sorts of techniques, but it, the tool is really meant to guide the hand in the application, which makes it so much easier instead of trying to self-accommodate for, you know, again, designs that are a little bit more challenging or don't give you sort of those cues on where, because it is one thing to make something more comfortable to hold. And that was part yeah. of the part of the approach but you're trying to achieve something. And so we had to create a form that would be beautiful, would allow for a comfortable hold, and then would cue you along the way to ensure that you're going to get the right application when you're done. And what has been like the feedback? Have people been like, I mean, I'm I'm sure that this is one of those weird things where people are like, thank you so much. Where have you been all my life? I mean, I can just imagine you know, some people contacting you and saying, hello, why was no one doing this? I mean, yes. 
I'm wondering. It's been great. It's been, it's been, I mean, it's been inspiring and exciting. It's, it's certainly enough to like want to make you keep going because it's even when we were in the, in the design phase and we were first starting before we were even done, like we had these very elementary beginning prototypes and women were coming in with their and, 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 and saying, this is amazing. I'm like, no, we're not even there yet. <laughs> we're not yeah. even close to done. It's a prototype. You know? Yes. Right. I mean, I think that we forget it, there is, it's, it's empowering. Makeup is a celebration of your features and it's how it's, yeah, again, self-expression. And it's something that I think the industry in a lot of ways have made us feel like we are just supposed to know how to do it. Should just like, what do you mean? The, the, you saw you saw the ad. It went on in two seconds. It was easy. You you can't do it. It's I mean it's the reason I didn't get into hair. I did makeup. Hair you cut it and then you got to wait a minute for it to grow back. But makeup's playtime. So you should be able to get in there. Everything everything in life has a learning curve, right? Give yourself a moment. But when you figure out the way, then it should just be easy. And I think when it came to eyeliners, especially. It's certainly across the board. It was not just, uh, I mean, certainly people who have physical limitations were like, oh, thank you. I don't know that anybody's considered us before, but across the board, I mean, and I wasn't, this part I wasn't so surprised with. People said, I can never been able to do a wing. I can never get my eyeliner straight. I like, you know, there's all sorts of memes and things about it. So um, yeah, the, the response has been, has been outstanding. Um, and, but I, we were fortunate because it's sort of different than I've done in the past, helping sort of create products for brands where you create a product in a room of makeup artists and then you launch it. Yes. We were creating our products with our community. So it was, um, it was a comfortable place to launch from because the community or helped us build it and yeah. already told us that this is what they wanted. Right. Like thank That's Like they amazing. really, they really did build the brand. So, uh, yeah. you know, I have to, I have to credit, credit the community for making it happen. I mean, absolutely. What's, what is next for you? What is the next kind of chapter either in your life or guide or all of it or what? There's so much good stuff coming. So we are, I am nowhere near done. We got new colors coming out. We are going to finish the face for sure. There's a lot, you know, we're in the guide lab constantly. So we have a lot of fun things. You know, I, I, um, uh, there's a, a great designer who unfortunately pa passed away recently, but his name is August de los Reyes. And, um, he was one of the pioneers of inclusive design. And I, he just said something really inspiring about, um, great design, inclusive design of surrounding us. Uh, and when we look at it, they're all love stories. And, uh, it, 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 can I tell you this little story? Yeah, sure. But, um, he told this great story about in the 1930s, his father took his daughter to the soda fountain and they sat at the counter and they ordered their milkshake and they each got their milkshake. And then his daughter, his little daughter got her milkshake and she couldn't drink from it because she couldn't reach the straw. She was too tiny. Yeah. <laughs> and he went, huh. And he went home and he took a straw and he took a screw and he put it in the straw and then he wrapped, um, he wrapped a uh, dental floss around it, pulled the screw out and he invented the bendable straw so that it could, yeah. So how sweet is that? So, that? so his little girl could go to, he could go to the soda fountain with his little girl and she could order a milkshake and they could have their milkshakes together. Aww. And that was the love story to his little girl. And, and this, and it's a story he tells. And if you ever get a chance to watch uh, some of his Ted talks, uh, he was brilliant, but uh, he talks about how we're surrounded by uh, design that is, you know, that is, that are love stories. And so if, if uh, we're talking about the future of guy beauty, I mean, I want to reimagine makeup. I want to reimagine the beauty industry, but I want, I want everything we do 
to be a love story for anybody who ever sat in my chair and said, I really want to be able to do this. I want them to pick up our products and say, oh my God, I can do this and I can have, have fun and, and find joy in the process. So hopefully that's, that's the future we're going for. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I love that story about the Bendy store. Who is this designer's name again? I got to put in the show notes. He's August De Los Reyes. Okay. I'm putting this in the show notes. So people yeah, look him up. That's a great story. I love that. That just shows how much love goes into design. You're so right. All right. Guess what? It's speed round time. This oh, is like basically happy hour. This is like happy hour. Happy hour. Oh, happy okay. hour. well, I understand happy hour. <laughs> yes, you do. Yes, you do. Okay. What is your cocktail of choice? Gibson. Okay. Now, what is that? I forget now. It's a gin. Oh, it's basically a martini, but instead of the olive, it's a cocktail onion. Oh, so it's still vodka or it's gin? It can be either. So, and very often it's vodka in this house, but sometimes it's Plymouth gin. Okay. I, you, that's the first person that said a Gibson. I like this. What is a mantra or quote you live by? Oh, a mantra. Okay. So those change for me because I love following and researching different designers and innovators. And so every week I put a new one on my desk. The most recent is from an architect, Buckminster Fuller. And he said, the best way to predict the future is to design it. And Ooh. so that's on my desk because we are right now currently creating some new fun, exciting stuff. So that's my inspiration every day. And my well, mantra. By the way, that's the perfect phrase for you. Yes. <laughs> what simple thing do you do for yourself? We talked a little bit about this, but I need a self-care tip that all of the listeners can do that you do that we could kind of do a little self-care for ourselves. Oh, okay. So self-care for, because I, I, I mean, just the, the one about starting my day outside with my cup of coffee and sitting and just taking some deep breaths and Really, when I say a moment of appreciation, I sit and I say to myself, look at how beautiful the lake is. I love, this is what I love about life. How fortunate am I for this? And just notice the smells and the sights around me. And it, and it grounds me in a way that I think I really need right now. So that's my, that's my self-care moment. I like that. It's kind of like a gratitude meditation. Yes. Yeah, exactly. What makes you feel unstoppable? Oh, all right. So it's hard to give just one, but I'll try to be quick. So on one side, certainly my husband and and the community and my friends, but certainly, yeah, my hubby makes me definitely is so supportive. That makes me feel unstoppable, 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 but the other, you know, what really makes me feel unstoppable is it's what we're doing. I almost lost something that meant so much to me. The opportunity that I've had to be able to to get that gift back, you know, I'm no longer who I was, but I am a new version of it, right? Like I get to be an artist in a whole new way. And so it makes me feel unstoppable because there's this desire, like, look what I, what the gift I've been given. How can I not pay that forward? And so that's that sort of like, I'm on that train. There's no looking back and I don't want to. I mean, that is a quote of all quotes right there. Yeah. Who do you most admire? My parents. Yes, you're Easily. Parents. I love that your dad was with you when you got your diagnosis. I mean, that is just like, talk about a, a, a parent supporting. Yeah. Yeah. No, he's, I mean, if he could pretend to be Richard Pryor with me, he could sit in the room. <laughs> From Richard Pryor to the diagnosis, he's there every time. <laughs> I mean, that is a loyal dad. Um, what's exciting you the most right now? Oh, 
I, I mean, I wish I would love to give more detail, but it's what's happening in our guide lab. I know. Why can't you tell us? It's a secret. I, I know. I, I, I'm, and I'm the worst. I can't like, I'm the worst when it's my own stuff. I'll keep a friend's secret. If you say I don't say something, but my own, <laughs> I think at it. It's so good. Think about all the things that are challenging to do with makeup right now. And imagine that we're in the lab reimagining them. <laughs> oh, I'm very excited about this idea. No, I, I can imagine a lot of things. Right? You know, it's always exciting when you see somebody come at something that you've seen forever, right? Like I've seen eyeliner pencils, they're tiny, they're annoying, I can't get it straight, whatever. I'm I'm like over that. So to see something that is reimagined and that has a whole new kind of way of of being is really exciting. To take something that's kind of been the same forever and making it new is that's that's exciting to me. The fun part about it, and I think this expands into almost every bit of design and things that we touch and see and feel on a daily basis is the sign of the road to making things better is really just care and empathy and realize and sort of thinking about who might be excluded from from a certain world or an object or, you know, because when you do that, you get, it's the opportunity to make something better for everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just, I mean, I've heard it said many times, but you know, you got to not only just give someone a seat at the table, but you got to move over. That's right. That's move right. Move your booty <laughs> and bring a person. That's right. You say, oh yes, you deserve to be at the table. No, no, no. Move yourself over. That's right. Make room and pull the person up. Yeah, I'm coming in. I'm bringing luggage. I'm bringing my job. Yeah, we're coming in. I'm moving in. Right in there. Yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh! Thank you so much, Terry, for talking to me today. You're so you are a warrior, and you are so inspiring. You really like made my day today. Oh, thank you so much. Right back at you. You are lovely, and I do hope you get here so we can have our cocktail hour. I will make you a gift. Now that I know you're in Winter Park, I will be heading right there. I can't believe it. I will hold you to it. It's my, it's my favorite place. I love that winter park. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Terry. Really. Thank you. And thank you for what you're doing for other people. Cause this is, this has gone from you getting to continue what you love to helping a bunch of other people to be able to do something that they maybe couldn't do or want to do, but couldn't really do it or maybe challenge like me. So thank you for all you're doing. Oh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining me today. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or Spotify. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a positive review. This is the Conversations with Warrior Women podcast with me, Liz Swadek. Remember, every woman has a story. You just have to ask her. Bye now.